to Will Riker Sex Beard Season 2, Benjamin Sisko's Beard of War, the podcast that explores in excruciating detail the tactical facial hair of Star Trek's Captain Benjamin Sisko. Boldly going where fortune favours the bold, and we value our ignorance of what's to come, and occasionally there's a baseball game. I'm your host, and like all Star Trek fans, I'm Dave. This week's expert is, um, not available at the last minute, so you've just got Dave. Dave has degrees in psychology, medicine, and education. Like all Dave's, Dave presents a podcast regarding the sexual facial hair of Commander William T. Riker, and in its second season, The Beard of War of Captain Benjamin Sisko. Dave does have a beard. Hello. Hello. How are you? bereft. Well, as you might have worked out from the words in the intro, it's just Dave this week, as unfortunately this week's expert had to uh, drop out for some unforeseen circumstances. Hopefully that all works out. So yes, you've just got me rambling on, and hopefully from that you get a nugget of entertainment and some insight into Benjamin Sisko's Beard of War. As such, I have picked the largely considered to be a terrible, terrible episode. Deep Space Nine, Season 2, Episode 9, Second Sight. So why did I pick that to explore Benjamin Sisko's Beard of War? Well, again, I had to try and pick one that no other expert would possibly pick. But also because I just thought that if we're going to look at the fighting machinery that is Benjamin Sisko's pugilistic chin hair, then we should look at something that shows a slightly different side. And in this episode, we see the romantic side of Benjamin Sisko's Beard of War, or rather, the absence of his Beard of War, because in this episode, as it's season two, he has a bald, fightless chin and weird uh, head beard, or hair, as some people call it. So, how would I summarise this episode? Well, basically, not much happens apart from Benjamin Sisko uh, falls for, they say love, but we'll get into that, falls for the divorce ghost of an arrogant scientist. Um, and that's more or less it. He wanders the promenade looking for her. He occasionally finds her. It turns out she's the divorce ghost of this scientist. This scientist's a bit arrogant. He makes a son and blows himself up so that his wife doesn't have to go into comas and make divorce ghosts anymore. Cisco then is a bit sad, because this is the first woman he's uh, liked since his wife died four years ago. So it all sort of starts, and Benjamin Cisco is musing. He can't sleep properly. Jake's having a nightmare. And it turns out that it's the four-year anniversary of Wolf 359, when his wife Jennifer died. And he, he can't decide, is he is he sad because it's the four-year anniversary or is he sad because he, he nearly forgot about it? And actually, this is fairly fairly common in people that lose a loved one um, as they sort of start to, to move on with their lives, um, not really get over the trauma, you never get over that trauma, but they start to miss the anniversaries a little bit and this makes them feel this survivor's guilt, this, this terrible guilt. But of course, what Cisco's doing while he realises this is playing chess. He always has to be honing his excellent tactical skill, not to be mastered until his actual beard turns up. So he decides to get over this, uh, numb his pain, 
while looking at the numbing grey walls of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And while he's out and about, he meets this woman who's dressed like a sort of lacy superhero, and she introduces herself as Feta or Fennel or something like that. And they have a bit of a chat, and they seem to get on. And and we see, probably for about the second time, the, the romantic side of, of Benjamin Sisko. He's interested in her. But it seems to be in a little bit of a different way than he was interested uh, when he first met his wife. So we, we see him first meet his wife in the very first episode of Deep Space Nine. He's giddy, he's, he's younger, he's, he's acting the fool a bit more. Um, but this, he's a bit more calm. He's maybe trying to be a bit suave. He's maybe thinking about growing a sex beard. Um, no chance your beard is for fighting, Cisco. Um, and and he, he makes these romantic overtones and she seems to respond to that until he's about to ask her out and then she literally ghosts him, disappears. Doesn't seem too upset by that. He's, he's Overall, he's quite excited at this idea of a uh, a romantic interlude. So much so that he changes the drink he has in the morning. Shock horror. Kira's not happy about this. Instead of his Raktagino coffee, which apparently he loves, he orders some tea with a double twist of lemon. A sure sign of something romantic happening. Then we've got this scientist. And it's quite weird, really, because this scientist is... He loves himself. He loves himself more than anybody can love anything, including biscuits. He is up himself to a ridiculous degree. He is a human colonoscopy. And he is going to try and bring back a dying star. And that's what his job is. And that's it, really. He just goes on about that and he says some poetry. And he has a wife. Um, and that's it for that story until he blows himself up at the end in a uh, noble sacrifice. And just cutting to the end, he's supposed to have this noble sacrifice because, as it turns out, his wife um, is some sort of weird telepath and she can project imaginary friends, um, which is just weird, you know. So she can be there wandering, talking to herself as if she's talking to someone else, just a mad ridiculous activity for someone to be doing and she creates this alternate person that can wander around and do the things that she can't because she's married apparently she loves her husband her species mate for life so she can never leave him even though like everybody else she thinks he's a bit of a knob so he decides i'm gonna bring a star back to life and i'm also gonna blow myself up at the same time so she can go on and have a good life and I think we're supposed to feel sad about this, but it's really, really difficult because this guy just goes from ridiculous claim to ridiculous claim. I've designed the best world. I've painted the biggest art. I've kicked the biggest hedgehog, whatever it is he's done. Um, I've read the biggest book. I've written the biggest book. I've got the biggest shoes. And basically everyone seems to find him this, this laugh entertaining. So when it comes to this bit where he's supposed to be doing an accurate you know, an actual sacrifice, an actual noble act. He's, he's there in a shuttle and he's going, let there be light. This is brilliant. He's having a great old time. So it's very difficult to feel sad. His his portrayal of this bit is just is just another ridiculous thing to be happening. And, and he has got a beard. I don't know what sort of beard it would be. Just a beard of arrogance, I suppose. A beard of being up yourself. Um, actually, no, I don't want to think about that. You shouldn't shouldn't have all that hair up yourself. Um, obviously, if you get hairballs, you 
cat, what are you on about? Doesn't matter. So it's really difficult to know what to think about that. And everyone sort of isn't really sad. Even Cisco, who seems to like him and in the same way that he likes Curzon, maybe sees him, a, sees him as a bit of a mentor, finds him finds him charming, finds his, his forwardness and his, his self-love charming. Even Cisco ultimately doesn't seem that, that bothered, even though they share a, a lovely bit of Klingon poetry where they muse on how the saddest thing is a warrior who defeats all his enemies. And and this is very telling for Cisco to come. We've already seen how he, the Beard of War loves a Klingon, wants to be a Klingon, and how he's he's got all these enemies that he ultimately wants to fight and defeat. But obviously when he does defeat them, what's the point of the beard? He might as well just shave it off, even though he hasn't grown it yet. Another thing that uh, gets commented on, Cisco is described as being in love, uh, mainly by Jake, his son, who says that he's got all the signs of being in love with the woman that he's met maybe twice. These signs are that he's lost his appetite, he's daydreaming, and he's smiling all the time. Also symptoms of being, you know, a bit sleepy or a bit gassy if you're a baby. Um, not convinced on this unless these are the Ferengi signs of being in love, which, you know, I can't really comment on. We don't see a lot about that, apart from maybe when uh, Quark tries to get it on with a Klingon or with a Cardassian. never really see Quark go for any Ferengis. Um, is, that, is that bestiality? No, I don't think we'd call them animals, but it's, it is certainly cross-species. Uh, love interests, which Quark seems to be mainly into, which is fine. We can't judge him for that. Um, but I'm not convinced those are the signs of love, and certainly not the signs of love for uh, Cisco, who seems to deal with this in a very tactical way, in a very Cisco way. And he decides, in order to find this woman, he's going to abuse his power, his position. So off he goes to Odo. He says, I am looking for a woman. She's called Fetter or Fennel or something. And Odo says, what does she look like? Uh, she was wearing red. All right. People can famously change the clothes, but never mind. Um, what species was she? Dunno. She had the standard Star Trek ears. Any forehead stuff? Not really. All right. Doesn't narrow it down. Um, what ship's she from? Dunno. Okay. Um... Yeah, sure, I'll try and find her. I've got a first name, maybe a last name, don't know. I'll give it a go. And that made me laugh because it reminded me of when I used to work as a Christmas temp in a bookshop and people used to come in and say, all right, I'm looking for a book. Don't know what it's called, don't know who it's by, but this is what it's about. And luckily, I could very easily help them because, of course, I have read every single book that there is. So I wasn't convinced that this was a good thing for Cisco to be doing because basically it's like the equivalent of hiring a private investigator to basically stalk someone that you've you've met once even though he's claiming this deep relationship. And in some ways it's worse than that because this doesn't have to hire Odo because Odo already works for him. No, I don't think Odo is in the middle of one of his uh, weekly quitting sessions. So Odo still does work for him. So I'm not convinced this is a very moral thing for Cisco to do. But as we see time and time again, Cisco's other thing, other than being a great dad, is that he's willing to do whatever it takes for the greater good. The greater good here being to find a woman that he's met a couple of times and he quite likes. 
The other thing that I was quite keen on is um, Cisco, at one point, he's, he's up one of the pylons of Deep Space Nine. We know they have magnificent pylons. We have to circle them every week and just look at them and go, look at them, those tall pylons, unless you're a Bajoran, in which case they're a uh, fascist eyesore and a remnant of the Cardassian occupation and probably shouldn't be circling them playing deep orchestral music and thinking about how great they are. But anyway, he's up one of these pylons and he meets uh, he meets Fennel. And they're saying, oh, it's nice, this station, isn't it? You're giving me a lovely tour of the endless corridors that look the same. We walk along the promenade, we go past the laboratoire, we see the boulangerie, we see the orangery. It's all really, really nice. And they end up up one of the pylons because, of course you do, Cisco knows how to treat a woman. And they start talking about how it would be a really nice spot for a picnic and Cisco says, oh, you just know exactly the right thing to say. Which is which is weird, isn't it? Is that the right thing to say? You're in a grey pylon. You're looking down on a, the remnants of a fascist occupation and you quite fancy having a picnic. And this made me laugh, actually, because uh, this is what Luaxana Troy also said to Odo when she was trying to woo him. She said that this pylon would be the perfect place for a picnic. So apparently Cisco and Fennel share the, the romantic ideas of Loaxana Troy, which I'm not sure if that's the, the best thing or not. We'll have to ask our uh, professor of Loaxana studies, Simon Feely. So the next time Cisco sees her, she he kisses her. And now this is problematic now because they've gone to dinner at uh, Arrogant Beard Scientist's uh, house, ship, flat, wherever he lives. Um, he's gone about how he's invented uh, this recipe. He's given O'Brien the recipe, and he's saying, we have to cook it at 500 degrees Kelvin, which made me laugh, apparently stupidly, initially, because I thought 500 degrees Kelvin was going to be massively hot. But I've since looked it up, and apparently it's about 220 degrees C. So maybe slightly hotter because everybody knows everything cooks 180. But there we go. And it turns out that this woman that he's been seeing, um, who wears her hair in a massive heap, you know, science can't progress without heaps. She's wearing her hair in a massive heap. But this time he sees her at this house and it turns out it's this guy's wife and her hair is no longer in a heap. She's no longer free and easy. She's got it in a bun. Oh no, it's this guy's wife. She doesn't really recognise Cisco, and this is obviously upsetting to him because he's dead keen on her. He has the conversation, and she says, no, I don't know who you are. He mentions uh, Feta, and she, the wife stops. She knows what's going on. She knows who Feta is. She's this projection because of her deep unhappiness about being married by a human priapism. So... He's not keen. He's thinking, I can't pursue this relationship because, you know, you're someone's wife. And he obviously respects that institution. He had a wife. And it would be a little bit hypocritical for him to uh, start going around and kissing some other guy's wife. Apart from he does. And it got me wondering, is he seeing this as another tactical situation and as the battle situation? Um, he's perhaps envisioning this woman as, as someone that he, he wants to be with something to be won, and this this guy, this uh, monopoly man of being up yourself, him is, is an adversary that he that he has to defeat. 
perhaps I don't know, but he doesn't proceed very tactically about it because all he does is that he kisses her and she vanishes, which obviously stresses him out a bit because, you know, she's literally a divorce ghost of, of this guy. Um, I was wondering, again, is this very honourable of him? Is this very moral of him? He's, he's kissing some other guy's wife as far as he knows. But again, if we, if we look in into the future, we know that Cisco basically does does what he wants in order to get the greater good, even if it's morally questionable, as long as he thinks he can live with it. And apparently, if that involves locking lips with some guy's spouse, he's, he's happy enough with that. Um, other than that, nothing else really all that memorable happens in this, other than, like I say, the guy does this dubious sort of... Um, explosion of himself and, and we're supposed to feel a bit sad and, and we don't know if we do really um, but like I said I do quite like the, the bit where Cisco likes the, the poem The Fall of Kang even though actually we later meet Kang so I don't know how far he fell or if he hurt his knee or anything or maybe it's just a different Kang maybe Kang is like uh, Smith to the Klingons we, we don't know so yeah that's that whole episode in summary with some of the bits I've uh, picked out does anything in my experience or my expertise explain the beard of war possibly um, I probably tend to agree with one of our experts uh, Dean Burnett that the beard is probably a display um, symbol of, of masculinity of territoriality much like uh, the sort of yellow stripes on, on a wasp or colourful on poison frogs. Stay away from me, I, I can hurt you. And it's just a, a symbol, a badge of this is what I can do. I'm a warrior. Don't mess with me or I'll fall on you like Kang. You know the one, do you, don't you? All right, there must be hundreds of them. Never mind, I'll get the Klingon phone book. So i probably agree with that. Can I explain the beard of war in a romantic way? Well, possibly... We can look at it as a as a sort of was interested in for a while the the biology of various uh, parasites part of one of my degrees, and um, it turns out that that might have a way of uh, impacting the evolution of display of various species. In that, if you can display something healthy, you can show off something ostentatious like, say, peacocks with their feathers. They don't need to grow tails that big, but they use that to attract mates. Um, perhaps in this case, the, the warbeard, it can show that you're not infected with anything. You're not infected with parasites because you can afford to invest resources into this this biological extravagance. So, you know, maybe in a, in a romantic way, he's just displaying that he's available and he's not riddled with worms. I don't know. Is that insulting to Dax? Who knows? So that might explain it. What's my favourite Benjamin Sisko Beard of War moment, even though it doesn't have to be from this episode, and it definitely won't be from this episode, because he doesn't have this beard, and this episode was absolutely dire. I think it's probably um, from Apocalypse Rising, when he's dressed as a Klingon, um, or no, he's finished dressing as a Klingon, he's going back, and he just goes, I think I'll miss the teeth. And I think it just shows something really good about the Beard of War, that it's always looking for accessories. It got it got rid of the uh, head beard, got rid of the hair, Brooks No Rivals, grew its beard, got itself a, a ship that can fight the Borg and can turn invisible, and now it's after more accessories. It'll get some teeth, get some claws, you know, some wheelie trainers, 
the Emmy Award-winning um, asymmetric Safari Cardi, and it'll be ready. It's got his battle gear. It's ready to go fighting. So that's probably it. Well, you know, there we go. A little bit of a stream of consciousness. Um, hopefully you glean something from it. If not, well, it was only a bit of time where at least you got to hear about a guy that blew himself up while probably had an erection looking at his own reflection. Which rhymes. Good. I'm a poet and I didn't even realise. So I'm off probably to go in, you know, see if I can find my wife. Hope she's not a divorce ghost. Hope I don't need to blow myself up creating a new planet. All right. Thank you. Hopefully I'll have someone with me next time. Goodbye. Dave discussing Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 2, Episode 9, Second Sight, where we must always remember, don't play chess on your own, it's an activity best done with other people, don't do that on your own.